I want to continue in our series on Colossians. Now, I'm aware that what I shall speak on today won't be relevant, perhaps, to everybody watching, because we're talking now to wives and husbands. And uh, some of you have never been married, uh, and some of you are hoping to be married. Uh, and I'm aware that this may not fit everybody, but because I want to understand Colossians, and if possible, miss nothing pertinent as we go through the book of Colossians. And so we are at a passage that I believe we should explore and do our best to understand. So I want to read from Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. And do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I ask now for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus to rest upon every mind of those listening, those watching, in order that their perception of what I say will be heard, received, as you intend. Cleanse my tongue that I will be your transparent instrument to say all that needs to be said, nothing that doesn't need to be said. Help me to be very, very clear, very, very simple, and very, very true to the meaning of Scripture, that I don't superimpose personal view upon Scripture, but get from it all that you want us to get, that we will learn things, and even if it goes against what we may have hoped was true. And let this word be life-changing, and a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, for those of you who are married, uh, would you like to know how to have a perfect Marriage? Well, I can tell you, it's to take seriously the words of Scripture. Now, we've been in Colossians now for a year or two, and uh, I'm doing my best, as I said, to deal with what is pertinent. Uh, we could have taken longer and, and uh, perhaps even got more than we have. But we're coming now to a very practical part of Colossians. You may recall that Colossians and Ephesians are very similar and it's interesting that Paul said much the same thing in uh, Ephesians. In fact, let me just read to you what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse, uh, 20, uh, verse 24. He says, uh, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Uh, his body, 
and is himself its savior. So now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then he adds, and we must never forget this. And you men, you husbands, listen carefully. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Well, I can assure you that if wives, husbands, listen carefully, uh, you will have the perfect marriage. But let's be fair. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage. I, I don't know of any. And I've known some good marriages, uh, but I wouldn't say any of them, uh, you could say, would be perfect. Uh, but God knows who we are. He knows what we are. Um, I speak as one now married uh, since 1958. Uh, by the time you hear this, it will be uh, just about 62 years. Uh, uh, June 28th, uh, 2020, will be 62 years for Louise and me. And uh, uh, I've been very thankful for my wife. I don't know what I would do without her. And I am particularly blessed uh, when I look around and I see marriages and look at situations, and then I look at Louise. I just think, I am so blessed. And uh, I'm so thankful that he gave me uh, Louise. Uh, I'm thankful also for my dad. He prayed for many, many years that I would not fall in love with the wrong girl. Now, I think that's a pretty shrewd prayer because, you know, when you fall in love, uh, you're not likely to take much advice. And uh, I can tell you, uh, I fell in love with Louise and I don't think anybody could have changed me. It would have been too late. And so my dad uh, prayed that prayer and uh, God answered that prayer. And I'm blessed. And I'm also aware of marriages that are not happy. Now, not only is it true that not every marriage is perfect, but some are really sad, bad. I predict when we get to heaven, we will find many of God's sovereign vessels whose marriages were unhappy. Now, let me talk about the happy ones. Uh, Martin Luther, he loved his Katie Von Bura. Uh, he loved her and they had a happy marriage. And the interesting thing about their marriage, I think their courtship lasted about a month. Now, most uh, people today would say you should uh, be engaged for several months and get to know uh, who you're going to marry. Well, Martin Luther just uh, felt at once he should marry Katie Von Bura. Uh, I don't recommend that for everybody, but it was true in his case. John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that Saved the Wretch Like Me, he was so happily married. He, in fact, he felt guilty that he loved his wife so much. He was afraid that the, the Lord might be, well, not jealous, but he just felt guilty that he loved her so much. Uh, let me say this to any husband. You cannot love your wife too much as long as you love Jesus. Now, I don't mean to be unfair, but when I uh, would marry couples uh, in my years at Westminster Chapel, uh, I married several dozen. 
and uh, I would have a wedding sermon. And uh, I always would say something like this, the way for a perfect marriage is for the husband and the wife to love Jesus more than they love each other. Well, I've heard people say, no, no, I want him to love me more, or I want her to love me more. Uh, I can understand why you would say that, but I can assure you, if your wife loves Jesus more than she loves you, she will love you more than she would have. I will put it another way. If your husband would love Jesus more than he loves you, he will love you more than he would have. You need to be thankful that your partner puts Jesus Christ first. Well, the interesting thing about the Bible is, though it's theological, it's about salvation, it's about Jesus Christ who came into the world to die on a cross for sinners, it's about knowing how you're saved, it's seeing the importance of getting right with God, because all that matters at the end of the day is where you go when you die. And the reason God sent His Son into the world to die on a cross for our sins, it's very simple. You may not have heard it put like this. I hope you have, because this is the bottom line. But the reason Jesus died on the cross is that we might believe in Him, not perish. That means not go to hell. Martin Luther, that I just referred to, said the Bible in a nutshell is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's simple as this. Jesus died so that you would go to heaven and not to hell. That is what matters. But the Bible is full of good practical advice. And we have that now in Ephesians. We have it in Colossians. You have it in 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, Paul gives the standard of who should be the head in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And so there are certain principles that if we follow, it's a guarantee of a happy marriage. Now, sometimes uh, we ask the question, why should a person become a Christian? Why? Well, some would say because it will help you to have a happy marriage. Not necessarily. In fact, uh, some st statistics show that 50% of those that are married in a church end up in divorce. 50% of those who are married uh, by a justice of the peace or outside the church end up in divorce. And it's true whether in America or in Britain. So the reason to become a Christian is not so that you'll have a happy marriage. You may, I hope you will, but that isn't a guarantee. But what Paul does give here is a guarantee. Now you may recall that so much of Colossians has inheritance in mind. Inheritance, what is that? Well, every Christian is called to come into his or her inheritance. Some do, some don't. And for those who do, they will have a reward in heaven. Those who do, you will find that God gives you an inheritance on earth. And I wouldn't want anybody to miss that. Now, why does Paul talk about husbands, love your wives, 
wives submit to your husbands? Well, it is partly true that it will help you come into your inheritance, but that would be to miss the point. This is not the reason that wives should submit. They should do it for the Lord. Husbands, the reason you should love your wives is not because you're wanting an inheritance. It's because you love the Lord. But as surely as you obey Him, then you get inheritance as a fringe benefit, if I may put it that way. Because Paul uh, talks about those who are married. He talks about family. He talks about how to be a good father. He talks to children. Then he talks about the servants, bond servants. And then he says, even your masters. So the Christian faith is relevant for every part of our lives. Now, there's a verse that I, I feel I should read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, this shows the opinion of Scripture with regard who is in charge. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, Paul says, I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is the husband, and the head of Christ is God. Well, those are basic principles. You could call it a sort of a hierarchy, but we want to be assured that God is head over us, that Jesus is our head. He's the head of the church. We've seen this already in, in Colossians. And if we are going to have a happy marriage, then we must guard what the scriptures say, but be very careful about it. Because what I'm about to teach from Colossians could be abused. In fact, sadly, it has been abused. Because when Paul starts out by saying, wives submit to your husbands, I'm sorry, but there have been over the years many, too many husbands that ram this down their wives' throats and keep saying to them, you are supposed to submit. You are supposed to submit. And sometimes they want their wives to be like doormats. That is not what Paul is teaching. Now, uh, Michael Eaton, some of you know who that is. He was my close friend and possibly the most learned theologian that I've ever met. He put this in his commentary on Colossians, that this passage is not a reference to any kind of inferiority. It does not mean that wives are to be timid or, uh, to be, uh, or simply uh, to be passive, but it means that the ultimate leadership in the home is the responsibility of the husband. Well, the question comes, why does Paul begin with the wives? He does so in Ephesians. He first addresses the wife and says, you submit. He says that in Colossians, you submit. You've seen the same principle in 1 Peter chapter 3. Why does he address the wife first? I think I know. It's because the key is the wife. Here's why. Even though the husband is supposed to be the head, no husband can be the head if the wife won't let him. She is the key. There is no 
man on the planet strong enough, intelligent enough, spiritual enough to have headship and a happy marriage if the wife won't let him. So she's the key. This is where it starts. Um, a friend of mine for many years, until she died, was Mrs. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Lloyd-Jones's wife. Uh, Dr. Lloyd-Jones was like a father for years until he died. And then for several more years, I had Mrs. Lloyd-Jones as a friend. And she used to say to me, the husband has the harder task. The wife, all she has to do is, is, is be submissive. But she used to say that to me, that she felt sorry for the husband. Well, sometimes husband or wife will play this game. It's like a merry-go-round. Uh, the husband will say to his wife, you must submit to me. But then she will say to him, but you are told to love me. Well, he would say, I will love you when you submit. Then what does she say? She says, I will submit when you love me. Well, now, how do we break this? Where does the buck stop? Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 11 lets us know that the buck stops with Christ, who is the head of the man, and then with the man, who is the head of the woman. Uh, but we're not to abuse this, because look at the way Christ is with us. He loves us with tenderness. He loves us with an everlasting love. I think of when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you are going to deny me. And Peter said, that is not possible. I love you so much, I will die for you. And Peter, he, he, he meant that. No question, he meant it. Jesus said, it just happens that before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will have denied me three times. Oh, Peter just didn't believe it. He said, it's not possible. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus knew that Peter would do it. He knew. Now, with many of us, if we knew our wives were not going to be submissive, or if you knew your husband would not be the perfect husband, you might say in advance, well, I'm not going to let myself get hurt. Uh, I just don't want to get hurt. I don't want to get disappointed. And you don't do what you ought to do. You see, Jesus is our example. Husbands, love your wife, your wives, as Christ loved the church. Well, an example of that. Jesus knew exactly what Peter was going to do. Uh, if you recall my Easter sermon, I, I made a point of this. I think it's a pretty important point. Uh, just to remind you, if you uh, didn't hear me, there are no chapters and verses in the original Greek. They just keep going. So, when you realize that John chapter 14, verse 1, beautiful verse, often quoted out of context, it's a good verse, doesn't matter if it is quoted out of context, nothing wrong with quoting it, but here's what Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled, you believe in God, believe also in me. Those words were directed to Peter. This is when Jesus said to Peter, you will deny me three times, you will deny me three times. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. That is the way we are loved. And when you realize that Jesus loves us, knowing that we're not going to be perfect, this is the way we are to love our wives. I would like to think that my wife feels the love of Jesus. I don't know that she always does. I wouldn't want you to ask her. Uh, but I can tell you this, this is my duty. Not because everything she does makes me happy, not because she's perfect, but I'm doing it for the Lord. There are times when I, I don't feel like loving her. And by the way, just to remind you, in the ancient Greek, there were three Greek words translated into English, love. There's philia love, that's brotherly love. The city of Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. And that's the love for brother and sister, uh, parent, child, child for his pet. Uh, it's a lovely love and, and that should be in a marriage, but that's not what Paul uses when he says, husbands love your wives. Then you will know eros, physical, sexual love. The same Martin Luther used to say, God uses sex to drive a man to marriage ambition to drive a man to service, fear to drive a man to faith. Well, here's the thing. The love that may make a man want to get married, eros love, is not the love that will sustain the marriage. And this is the mistake many, many people make. Thousands make this mistake because they are so madly in love. And it's physical love. They cannot imagine anything going wrong. But it's only a matter of time that as you begin to live with each other and get to know each other's ways, you'll find faults in the other that you did not see in the engagement period. You see, in the engagement period, you're on your best behavior. You don't want to lose her. You don't want to lose him. And you're on your best behavior. But then once you're married, it's set. And by the way, according to the Bible, according to all marriage ceremonies, it's for life. Marriage is for life. My dad used to say this to me, son, marriage is for life. As it is put in the ceremony, till death do us part. Well, once you're married, you begin to see faults that you hadn't seen before. And that's when you need a different kind of love, not to replace eros, but to come alongside it. And so you have two kinds of love that will keep the marriage together. There's the eros love that initiated the marriage, the agape love. That's the love of Jesus. That doesn't mean the word agape always means the love of Jesus, but the way it's usually used in the New Testament, it's self-giving love. In fact, the verb form of agape, agapao, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, he gave his son. And so when we love with agape love, it is a self-giving love. Well, the thing is, we find more about our wives, find out more about them after we've been with them a while. But you know, as I look back, if I could just give my personal testimony. Uh, just a few days ago, 
It just so happens that in our Bible reading plan, some of you heard me say this many times, I follow uh, the plan used by uh, Robert Murray McShane. And um, just a few uh, days ago, our reading included Proverbs chapter 31. Well, uh, here's the way it reads. I'm not going to read it all, but it starts out, An excellent wife who can find, she is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. And it goes on. Well, a few days ago, when I came to that, I asked Louise to put down what she was doing for a moment, and I read this to her. This 31st chapter of Proverbs, uh, God has been so good to me to give me a wife like that. Well, I think of those major men in history that didn't have a happy marriage. Did you know that John Wesley's wife didn't really love him? And she would come to church and make fun of him. And they said she would cackle as he preached. What an embarrassment it was. And it is said that George Whitfield, probably the greatest evangelist in the history of England, was jilted by his girlfriend and he married someone that he never really loved. Whitfield and Wesley had in common that they didn't have happy marriages. And I think you'll find when we get to heaven, a lot of people like that. And perhaps I'm speaking to someone right now. You say, I don't have a happy marriage. I wrote a book a few years ago called Thorn in the Flesh. The Apostle Paul said that God gave him a thorn in the flesh. Uh, we don't know what that was. Some say it was his eyesight. Uh, some used another example that it could have been his enemy. Uh, there have been 50 examples, I think, in church history trying to figure out what was Paul's thorn in the flesh. Well, when I wrote the book, Thorn in the Flesh, I had several chapters of various examples of a thorn in the flesh, like people who can't handle money, it's their thorn. Uh, people who uh, have an enemy or a psychological impediment or a sexual misgiving. But one of the chapters is unhappy marriage. I'll tell you something kind of funny. I was preaching in Northern Ireland and after the service, a man came up to me and said, can I ask you a question? Sure. He said, can your wife be your enemy? I said, yeah. He said, well, thank you. Uh, and he said, I want to thank you for your book on unhappy marriage. I said, I haven't written a book on unhappy marriage. He said, oh, yes, you have. It's, it's, it's saved my life, so, so, something like that. Then I realized he had read my book, Thorn in the Flesh, and the only chapter that meant anything to him was the one on unhappy marriage. Well, it's true. It just might be. I know of examples of godly women whose husbands were cruel and unkind. And they saw it as something they should 
honor God for and submit to the Lord. It wasn't easy. I'm not sure that everybody can do that. But there have been those who did. Well, I'm not saying if you have a cruel husband that you are supposed to be a doormat. That's not what Paul means. Submitting means that you do acknowledge he should be the head. When a decision is not certain, the husband should decide. Uh, the husband, husband should be the head. And a wife who wants that will help the husband to have the authority that he should have. This is why I say the reason Paul addressed the woman first is because she's the key. A woman can keep her husband from being the head. And if she chooses not to let him be the head, there's nothing he can do. Nobody, as I said, strong enough, smart enough to be the head if the wife won't let him. But then, a word to husbands. Love your wives. It's agape love. That means as Jesus loved Peter, he knew that Peter wasn't perfect. He didn't say to Peter, well, I know you're going to desert me, so I don't, I'm going to tell you now, I want to have nothing to do with you. You see, if on the day of our marriage, we could see in advance the mistakes of the other, we might say, I don't want any part of this. But God will see us through. And the person who will love his wife, and that means to forgive. Just as Peter was forgiven by Jesus in advance. So the husband, if he will love his wife and forgive her and not keep a record of wrongs. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, we have the word of love keeps no record of wrongs. Why do we keep records? Well, to prove that we've paid. Why would we keep a record of a wrong? You see, why would a husband say to his wife when she says something that maybe isn't very nice, and he says to her, I will remember that. And sure enough, he does. Next day, a week later, he quotes back what she said. You see, love keeps no record of wrongs. And this is a word I would address to every husband. Whatever fault you have with your wife, whatever mistake she's made, however much she's let you down, and you've kept a record of that in your mind, I would come to you, as it were, on bended knee and ask you to tear up that record of wrongs and love her because she is just a little girl inside wanting you to love her. Now, here's the question. If you're a wife and say, well, I will submit when I feel loved, or if you're the husband who says, I will love when she submits, there's only one way forward. There's only one. And that is if each of you put Jesus first, not looking over your shoulder to see what the other was going to do, but because you want to honor God. And that's the principle we have. Now, I can tell you, sometimes a marriage will get into such trouble that you do need help. I'm going to tell you something that in case you didn't know, although I've never made it a secret, 
but may surprise you. Uh, during the 25 years that we were at Westminster Chapel, uh, back in the 1990s, if you want to know the date, uh, Louise and I had some problems. They were difficult, and uh, I just didn't know what to do. Well, my close friend, Lyndon Bowring, who knew a little bit about both of us, suggested that uh, we see his friend, Alan Bell. Uh, Alan, if you see this, I hope you will forgive me for referring to you, but Louise and I needed help. We needed help. And uh, it was just what we needed at the time. And I just want to say lovingly as I know how to any marriage in difficulty right now, quit trying to blame the other, but find someone who will be objective and try to help you. He will not do you a good job, or she, if it's a woman counselor, if they're on one side or the other. That's not going to help if they take sides. You need to know exactly what is wrong. And I was so greatly helped. And uh, I've just felt that I should say something about that before I go any further. But then here's another potential problem. It could be, it could be because it happens, that you as a man are married to a woman who just maybe is smarter than you, more intelligent, more able. Let me ask you, how would you like to be married to Margaret Thatcher? <laughs> Very brilliant woman. Well, I remember the days uh, when uh, I was minister of Westminster Chapel and she was the prime minister of England and um, people would make fun of her husband, but he was a hero. He wanted her to ex uh, excel. And uh, throughout history, there have always been those women who were just abler. Uh, an example of a woman that emerges to the top in the Old Testament, her name was Deborah. And there was a man, Barak, and Deborah was a prophetess. And she prophesied to Barak that he should lead the army of Israel into victory. And you know what Barak said? He said, I won't go unless you go with me. I won't go unless you go with me. Well, Deborah was not one of these uh, uh, feminists who wanted to take charge and make sure she was in control. She warned him. She said, look, if, if I go with you, the glory will go to a woman. And he said, I don't care. Well, in that case, she went. Well, Barak is the unsung hero in his case. Because he knew, he knew that he wasn't able. And so there are those marriages where the husband does accept that the wife may be brighter, more intelligent. But the truth is that you can honor your wife and honor her gifts. Well, this is not all that we read in this section. Uh, when we go on in Colossians, he mentions next uh, parents. Well, no, he says children next. Sorry. The next thing, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, what interests me is that Paul would tell the children what pleases the Lord. You may say, well, what does a child know of what is pleasing to the Lord? Well, Paul said it, and it shows that we should teach a child. And then he turns to the fathers. Uh, interesting. He doesn't say mothers. He says fathers. I suppose this is because uh, 
fathers are usually the disciplinarians and also mothers will be more gentle. Uh, they may not need this as much as a father. He says, don't provoke your children to wrath. In other words, uh, you don't want to demoralize them. You don't want to uh, say something so harshly that they lose any sense of well-being. Uh, you know, this convicts me. I have to say, as a parent, I often disciplined when I was angry. And uh, the wonderful thing about it, the, our Heavenly Father, we read in Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, He chastens. You see, our Heavenly Father never made a mistake in His disciplining us. Well, what He's so showing here, that as parents, we must be careful, not only husband and wives love each other, but show love to our children. Well, there's a little more here in this section in Colossians. Uh, I think we'll wait and continue that until next time. Let's just pray briefly. Heavenly Father, I, take, I ask you to take this word and apply this word by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.